Hopefully you feel alive today. 
change? If so, say amen. 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 Before you are seated, take a moment and welcome those around you. You may return to your seats and you may be seated. Want to take a moment to welcome you to Northside Baptist Church. Uh, we are so glad that you are here. Uh, some of you, this may be your first time uh, that you're here. If so, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're, we're delighted to have you. We want you to get to know us better. We want to get to know you better. Our prayer is that you would be connected, whether this is your first time here or you've been here 10 years, we want you to be connected. If it's the first time that you're here, inside the bulletin is a place for you to fill out, tear that off, put that in the offering plate uh, later on in the service. We would greatly appreciate that. There's also a place for prayer requests. Uh, as I said, we want you to be connected. So there's a lot that's going on. So please take some time, look over the bulletin. Uh, we got a baby shower this afternoon. We got date night coming up this Saturday. We have a soup luncheon next Sunday. Please pay attention. Do what it says. If it says sign up, go sign up. If it says to be here, then show up. Right, we want you connected. We also want you serving. So let me say a special thank you to those who went to Bridging the Gap and served yesterday. Those of you who were up here serving for Upward. There are ways for you to get involved, ways for you to serve. And so we want you to be a part and we want you to do that so last Sunday we started a new part in our worship service called praying the scripture and so what we're going to do most Sundays we're just going to be in the Psalms we're going to start in Psalm 1 and each Sunday we'll take a Psalm and we'll pick I'll pick one or two verses from that and so this morning's scripture that we're going to pray through is Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 it says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing again. But before we do that, I want you just to look at this verse, spend a minute or so praying through it, meditating upon it, and let the Lord speak to your heart before we continue to sing together.
may be seated. Well, today is the eighth Sunday that I've been here, and today makes the third or fourth Sunday that I've actually had family here. So that's really cool. That didn't happen that much in Florida. So, uh, you know, BJ just talked about obeying your mom and dad. Well, my mom and dad are actually here this morning. Uh, Leonard and Helen. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All that I am is because of Jesus and then because of them. So I'm extremely thankful for them. And then my sister, Amberlyn, and her husband, Jake, are here as well. So uh, there we go. You get a woo. You get a woo, too, and a clap. All right. So this morning we are going to start a new series in the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, keep it close by. We're not going to get there yet, but we're going to get there here in just a few minutes. So I was studying this week, preparing this week, and I had a dilemma. So let me just go ahead and tell you the dilemma up front. I wanted, and I think it's important, anytime we start a new book, and I go verse by verse. So we're going to go through the entire book of 1 John. It'll take us several months to do it. Uh, We may take a break in there, but we'll get through 1 John. I think it's important that when we do that, you have an introduction. You have an understanding, a working knowledge of the book that you're looking at, the context, the author, maybe the theme. So I knew I had to do that, and then I thought, well, I'll also jump into the first four verses of 1 John, but there is a lot there to cover. So the dilemma is, do I do both the introduction and preach on the first four verses, which would probably take me close to an hour, or do I, somebody said, that's all right. Well, I didn't go with that option, so uh, the the other option was to spend a good amount of time, at least probably 30 to 35 minutes, just with the introduction, and so that's what I've chosen, which also means this. This morning may be a little less preaching and a little more teaching, so you hear that and you may think, well, I can check out. No, please, lean in and listen. And I'm just praying by the grace of God it won't be boring uh, that the Spirit of God will do a work. But if that doesn't keep your attention, at the very end I'm going to give you a little quiz. All right? And the answer to this and where you find yourself determines where you spend all eternity. In heaven with Jesus or in hell apart from Jesus. So it is vital for no other reason than you listen for that reason. So we're going to begin this letter. Uh, I've entitled it, That You May Know. That You May Know. That comes from chapter 5, verse 13. We'll get there in just a moment. So let's pray, and then we're we're going to jump into this. Father God, we come to your word. This is the living, breathing word of God. We've already prayed this morning, Lord, been reminded that we are to delight in it. Lord, as we might come to a meal and delight in the food that we're about to eat, or as we might come before the TV and delight in watching our favorite sports team or our favorite show, or as we're to delight in gathering with family and spending time with them, Lord, I think even more so we should find delight and joy in the Word of God. So, Lord, help us to do that today. Speak clearly. Give us an understanding, Lord, of why this letter was written, the importance of it, and the themes that we'll see over and over and over again in our study. Be glorified. But I pray that the result of this will bring joy to your people, glory to you, Lord, it also may result in 
the salvation of those who do not know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to give you three big things here. The first two you won't need your Bibles for. I'm just going to kind of set the groundwork. The third one, we're going to look at a lot of verses this morning to kind of get the big picture. So the first thing I want you to notice is the setting. The setting in which this letter is written. So Gary Burge writes, The world outside the church at this time was a place of darkness, persecution, and turmoil. Sound familiar? Would you use those words maybe to describe the world in which we live? Darkness, persecution, and turmoil. But what about the church? What about the body of Christ that God had saved and set apart? Certainly the church must have been thriving. No doubt they were. Study the book of Acts, right? You see the gospel is spreading. The church is growing. The Lord's adding to their number daily. People are being saved. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. But man, when you continue to study the New Testament letters, you also notice the church had problems. The once unified body of Christ at some point began to tear apart from within. So what would happen to the early church? What would happen to the group of churches that, that many scholars believe this letter was circulated among? What would happen to them? Would she so quickly abandon her faith in Jesus Christ? Would she so quickly leave the light to run back to the darkness and immorality? Would she cease to love her neighbors as Jesus had commanded and instead become an elitist group, almost a country club, that could identify only with those people who were similar to them. See, the early church is being attacked from outside by false religions and from with inside by false teachers. And so the church needed to be reminded of who she was in Jesus Christ. She needed to be called to return to right doctrine, right living, and right loving. And so God gives us in his grace this letter that we now know is five chapters, but then would have just been a letter. No divisions, just a letter. Church, you and I need today for God to once again call us to be a people who have been saved through Jesus Christ, who return to a right doctrine and a right living and a right loving. And that's my prayer as we study this book, that that's what God will do in us, that will return us there. So that's the setting, right? There's turmoil, people from without and within the church, a lot going on. The author, second thing, the author, who wrote, write this letter. Well, tradition has ascribed authorship of these three letters to the apostle John, right? One of the 12 disciples. He was the son of Zebedee and the brother of James. The CSB study Bible notes ancient manuscripts are unanimous in naming John as the author of 1 John. He's also the author, we believe, of 2 John and 3 John. We also believe this same John, one of the 12 disciples, authored the Gospel of John. We're going to look at that in a moment in the statement he makes there and compare it to 1 John. We also believe that this same John is also the author of what other book? Revelation. So if you add those five up, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John and Revelation, we believe this John wrote five of the New Testament books. Second century sources tell us, just for a little background purposes, Irenaeus, for example, that somewhere between 65 and 70 A.D., the temple's destroyed in 70 A.D., so sometime before that, John leaves Jerusalem and heads to Ephesus, where he becomes a church leader and spends 
most of the remaining days there in Ephesus. And it's probably while there, sometime between 85 and 95 A.D., that he writes 1 John. Right? Historians, the early church fathers also tell us that John would have been uh, taken to the island of Patmos, right? And he, and he was there, and that's where he would have written the book of Revelation. So you kind of had the setting. You have the author. Now here's the important question. Why? Why do you have this letter in your hands? Why was this letter, which would later go on to be part of the canon, the 66 books of the Bible, Old New Testament, why do we have this letter? Why was it written? Well, it is always helpful to us when the author of the story or the scripture tells us the specific purpose for writing. And John does that. So this is where you're going to need your Bibles. Hold them in your lap because we're going to look at a lot of scripture over the next 20 to 25 minutes. So why does John write this? Well, there are four times in which John, in these five chapters, explicitly states why he is writing. The first one occurs, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. And we are writing these things, why? So that our joy may be complete. So one of the reasons for writing this letter is that your joy, my joy, those who would receive this letter, that our joy as believers would be complete. So John is promoting true joy in the believer. That's one reason. Chapter 2, verse 1, we see the second. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not what? Sin. First reason he writes is to promote joy in the believer. Second reason he writes is to prevent the true believer from living in sin, from living in continual sin. We'll come back to that theme, but that's the second reason he tells us he writes. The third, same chapter, chapter 2, verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, this is where the deception this is where those from within the church are now trying to deceive those in the church. And John says, one of the reasons I'm writing is about them because they're trying to deceive you. So another reason he writes is to protect the true believer in Christ from false teachers and doctrine. So quickly recap. We've seen three. To promote true joy in the believer. To prevent the true believer from living in sin. To protect the true believer in Christ from false teachers and doctrine. And then there's the fourth reason he tells us he writes, which I think is critical to understanding why you and I have this letter. And this is where the theme for this series comes from. Verse 13, I write these things, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, right, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. So that is critical in helping us to understand this picture. So James Montgomery Boyce writes, the dominant theme of 1 John is Christian assurance. And so here's what I want to do. I want to compare with you this statement in 1 John with the statement he makes in the Gospel of John. And so uh, Ryan's, Ryan's back there. So John chapter 20, verse 31, we're going to break this down for you on uh, the screen in a second. We'll go back a little bit to where John is, where we start to show the words up there for me. Uh, is that where we at? All right, so John chapter 20, verse 31, right? This is in the Gospel of John. He says, these are written. I may need to go back one. What are, there we go. Keep going. 
There we go. One more. There we go. All right, so he says, these are written. So this is the Gospel of John. He's telling us why he's writing the Gospel of John. This is important. These are written. So this, this is why it's written. So that, so that for the purpose of, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? So leave that right there, and we're going to look at that for a second. Um, so he's writing to unbelievers, to those who do not know, and he's saying, I'm writing this that you may come to believe in Jesus the Christ. This is why when you study the Gospel of John, I think John emphasizes the seven I am statements. It's why he emphasizes seven miracles of Jesus. Because he's writing to those who maybe don't know that Jesus is the Christ to let them know he is the Christ. And by believing in him, you will have eternal life. Now, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. This also is going to appear on the screen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Not that you might believe, but I'm writing to those of you who already believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that, for the purpose, you may have eternal life. So there they are side by side uh, up there. Um, so you can see them. This is important. And I'm getting ready to explain to you why. So the Gospel of John, unbelievers who don't believe that they might believe, and in believing, have eternal life with Jesus. First John, written to believers who have already believed in Jesus Christ, but he's writing to them because he wants them to know that they know that they know Jesus and therefore have eternal life. So why does he do this? Why is one gospel written that we might believe, and then he writes a another letter saying, you already believe, and I just want to remind you of what you believe in so that you can know that you believe. Why does he feel the need to do this? Well, go back with me into 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Chapter 2, 18 and 19. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour hour verse 19 they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us and then verse 26 i write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you so here's what's going on you have people in the church people that they are part of the church they're teaching, they're serving, they're there, and you're gathering to worship with them, and you're like, hey, we all believe in Jesus. Then all of a sudden, those people, some of those people, they're gone. And John says, look, they left us because they were never part of us. We thought they believed, but they really didn't believe. They really had never put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. So here you have the people who remain in the church, being deceived by those who were there and have now left, who are still trying to deceive them, and they're left in there going, well, okay, these people just left. We thought they believed. We thought they knew. Can I even know? Have you ever thought about that? How do you know that you know that when you die, you're going to be with Jesus? How do you know that? You say, well, you just say a prayer. You just put your faith in Jesus. Well, these people probably would have done that, so they thought. So how can we know 
can we know can you know this morning that when you die you will live eternally with Jesus Christ can you be sure when you are on your deathbed can you sing with Fanny Crosby blessed assurance Jesus is mine can you know now there are those who will tell you you cannot know there are those who teach that you and I can lose our salvation you can be saved today and tomorrow through sin you can lose that salvation so when we walk in this place on Sunday mornings can we walk in with the assurance that I know Jesus he lived for me died for me was raised for me and if I take my last breath I'm going to be with Jesus yes you can know that man this would be pretty disheartening if every time we walked in here we're like I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not like, I don't know you going to, I don't I don't know right so can you know and the answer is yes you can know but how do we know how do you know I believe that's why first John was written I believe first John scholars point this out very clearly that in first John and this is where you really got to start paying attention first John gives us three tests other scholars use the word signs you could use the word evidences that you can look at and point to and say because of this I know I believe because of this I know that I know Jesus that there is actually evidence that you can point to to say yes I know what are those well let's look at them this morning because these three tests these three evidences you will see over and over and over and over again in this book here's the first one it's a doctrinal test it's a doctrinal test you could look at it another way is true belief you could use the word faith so here's what's happening right John in writing this letter is writing to assure and encourage the believers who remain in the church who are trying to be deceived but at the same time he's also writing to refute the false teachers and what they believe so he's trying to encourage believers and refute the false teachers so here's what the false teachers are doing they are compromising the person and work of Christ the false teachers are denying who Christ is and so John is writing that you and I may know who he is. So who is Jesus? Well, let the scripture speak for itself. Take your Bibles. Let's go through it. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which you have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? Here's the truth that John wants you to understand. God is the Father of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You're not convinced yet? Well, in chapter 2, John continues, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? I don't know if you can get more clear than that. Who's the liar in your midst? Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar, and they don't know Jesus. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Chapter 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us chapter 4 verse 2 by this you know the spirit of God 
listen to this, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Chapter 4, verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You say, Pastor, how do I know that I know that I know that I belong to Jesus and have eternal life? Hear me, because you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and he is your Savior. If you cannot acknowledge and confess that, then you do not know Jesus. I don't care how many times you've been to church, what your Sunday school record is, how many times you've read the Bible. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and your Savior, you are lost and going to hell. There is no other way. John is abundantly clear. That's the first test. Do you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? You must have a correct knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there is a second test. And the second test he gives is a moral test. True obedience or righteousness. So not only were the false teachers compromising the person and work of Christ, but the false teachers were also minimizing the seriousness and the power of sin. False teachers were minimizing the seriousness of sin. So what does John do? He writes to encourage the church and to rebuke the false teachers. And what does he say? He says that God is light. Not only is God the Father of Jesus Christ, but John also says God is light. So let's look at this. Chapter 1, 5 and 6. Hang with me. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is what? Light. So God is what? Light. He's light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Same chapter, verse 4. Again, John doesn't hold back. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. But whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Chapter 3, 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. One more verse, verse 9, chapter 3. No one born of God makes a practice of sin. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. See, there must be a desire to pursue and obey the commandment of Christ. So hear me. If you deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you are not saved. And if you believe that you can live however you want to live 
and you do not care about the commandments of God, you have no desire to keep the commandments of God, that you think what matters is your opinion and your thoughts and the word of God does not matter and you think you can live in sin and live how you want, you do not know Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a youth pastor sitting across a young lady at youth camp, right? You go to youth camp, man, and everybody like gets on fire for the Lord, right? They all come back one to just storm hell with water guns, right? They're just ready to go. And I remember this teenage girl looking at me and saying, Look, I gave my life to Jesus several years ago, but right now in my life, I want to live for me. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to live how I want to live. I want to do the drugs, and I want to date who I want to date, sleep with who I want to sleep with, and I want to do all of these things. Listen, maybe that was a moment in her life, and maybe the next day she'll come to repentance. I don't know if she has or has not. But if you have that kind of mentality that this is my life and I'm going to live how I want to live, and when you're confronted with your sin, you're like, eh, who cares, it's not a big deal. You may not know Jesus. You may, and you're just in a, a period of sin. If you know Jesus, then you're going to repent. You're, you should have a desire to keep the Word of God, and if there is no desire for that, then maybe you don't know Jesus. Third test. It's a social test. True love. Right, This idea of, of love. So here are the false teachers, not only denying that Jesus is the Christ, not only denying the seriousness of sin, but they also had become spiritually arrogant and they had failed to show love to others. They stopped loving other people. So we see this, right? You got chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. You go to chapter 4, verse 8. We see another statement John makes here. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is what? Love. So God is the Father of Jesus Christ. God is light. And now John says God is love. Chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So what does it look like when you begin to follow Jesus? It means you have a new relationship with other believers that is marked by love. Hear me. If there is no love in your heart whatsoever for your brothers and sisters, if you in any way, right, are racist and you hate people and you wish people would die, like you are just, just so much hatred is in your heart, you may not know Jesus. And maybe you just become bitter and you need to confess that and begin to walk with the Lord again, right? But these tests are there so that we can look at our lives and say, is there any evidence that Jesus Christ has changed me? So in 1 John, we have a group of people who were claiming to know God, claiming to have fellowship with him claiming to have eternal life. But claiming something and possessing something are not the same. You may claim to know God. You may claim to have fellowship with God. You may claim to have eternal life. All right, that's awesome. But is there any evidence? Now hear me, full disclosure. The purpose of the message this morning and the purpose of this series is not to get each of you to walk out of here questioning your salvation. That is not the point. The point, though, is to get you to examine your life where you can get to the point that you can say, I know that I know that I know that I belong to Jesus. And I know because there's 
evidence. There's evidence. So if you claim to know God, claim to have fellowship with God, claim to have eternal life, right, you should be able to look at these three tests and say, hey, they're there. There's evidence in my life, and it's all by the grace of God. Right, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Well, you didn't believe that on your own. The Spirit of God brought you to that point. Well, that's because of Christ. You give glory to Him. You say, yes, I have a desire to keep the Word, obey the Word. For crying out loud, Pastor, I'm here listening to you preach on this, right? There's evidence of that. That's great. That's evidence. You say, yes, I love. Yes, I care. That's awesome. That is evidence that God is at work in your life and that you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. See, if these three things are true of us, that is evidence that Jesus Christ has saved us and is changing us. And therefore, I believe you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Because you can't change yourself. Jesus does that. And when you begin to see that, that's evidence that you belong to Jesus. Before we get to the last part, I want you to examine your heart. I want to, I want to give you one more thing. And I want to show you, James Montgomery Boyce in his commentary does a great job of showing why all three of these things are important in our life. Why we have to have the right doctrine, the right living, and the right loving. If you take any three of these away, what you get is not biblical Christianity. It's not the way of Christ. So the first one, he says, James Montgomery Boy says, love without righteousness is immorality. Love without righteousness is immorality. Church, this is the mantra of our age. You must love me. You must embrace me. And that means you must embrace whatever I believe, however I'm living, whatever I think is right. But to love someone and not tell them what the Word of God says is right becomes immorality. It's not okay to say, well, fine, I'll just, whatever, whatever you want, what goes. No, we believe the word of God is true. And yes, we want to love on people, but we also want to call them to repentance and faith in Jesus. So love without righteousness is immorality. Secondly, righteousness without doctrine is legalism. I think sometimes this is where we get guilty as a church. Listen, parents, let me encourage you something. When your child comes to you or your teenager comes to you and says, hey, I want to do this, and you say, no, we're not going to do that, and they say, why? I know it's easy to say, because I said so, but that's not the best answer. And sometimes in the church, what we've done with our children or what we've been taught is, hey, we're going to do this, this is righteous but we don't ever understand why we're doing it, so it just becomes legalism. We just do it. You come to church. Why do we go to church? Because we just go to church. Well, I guess I'm just going to church until they don't live with you any longer, and then they don't have to go to church anymore, and they stop going to church. Why? Because they were never taught why going to church matters to begin with. It was, get in the car, I'm going to whoop your bottom, we're going to church. And maybe that's how you start, but you begin to explain to them why it matters. So some of you, maybe this is where you are. You know all the right things to do. You just don't understand the Word of God. You don't know why you're doing them, so you've lost all the joy in it. You're just doing it because you've been told to do it. And then the third thing he says is this. Doctrine without love is a bitter orthodoxy. 
Some of you, man, you know the Word of God front to back. I mean, you know it better than I do. And yet in a conversation, right, when you're talking to somebody, you're just so abrupt. It's like, just believe it. Why don't you want to believe this, right? There's no love behind it. There's no, let me show you in love why this is true. And that may take more than one conversation. You may have to have coffee with them 20 times before they begin to see what the Word of God says. So let's examine our hearts. Because I want each and every one of us to know that we know that we know that we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And that eternal life doesn't begin somewhere down the road, but that eternal life has already began right now because Christ has given us life. Life eternally. So maybe there's some of you here this morning and you are filled with hate. You are living in immorality. You are denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If this is you, then you do not know God. You don't know Him. John is clear. Let me read one more verse to you. It's 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. He says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Church, you and I need to be reminded there's only two places you and I can be. There's not a third option. John says either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. There's no middle ground. It's heaven or it's hell. There's no third middle option. And so if you are here this morning and you're filled with hate, you're living in outright immorality, and you have denied that Jesus is the Christ, then you need to repent because you have no fellowship with God and you are on your way to spend eternity in hell. If that is you, then please, I plead with you, confess and believe and take hold of Jesus Christ and be saved. Some of us this morning, maybe we have love for our neighbor, but you're lacking righteousness. Maybe you're ignoring God's commands. Maybe you're even walking in outright disobedience. Or maybe there's that secret sin that you've tucked away that nobody, including your spouse, your kids, or your pastor, or your deacon knows about. You have an option this morning. You can continue to keep living in that sin to keep it hidden, or you can run to the light, which is where you are meant to live, in the light because God is light. And yes, I'm calling you to go to somebody and to confess it and to ask them to help you. And is that difficult? Yes. But in the darkness, you can live in sin. But you are not to live in darkness, brother and sister. You are to live in the light. So come out of the darkness and walk in the light and seek somebody to walk with you as you deal with that sin. Some of you may say, no, pastor, listen, I got this righteousness part down pat. Man, I read my Bible every day, pray three times a day. My Sunday school attendance is impeccable. As the saying goes, you don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, or hang around with those who do. Right, you just look at your life, and it is righteous. It is almost perfect. And yet this morning, you lack joy, and you lack peace, and you lack rest, and you lack assurance, because you don't know the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, you converted to a religion, but you never came to a Savior, Jesus Christ. And if that's you, whether you are 10 or 100, give 
your life to Jesus. You've never come to him, believe and confess, and then begin to live out that righteousness, out of a joyful and abundant heart. Others, maybe you have the right doctrine. You know the commandments, you know the Bible, you claim to know the gospel, but in your heart there is no love. You're filled with head knowledge, but that head knowledge has never led to the heart. You know about the Jesus of the Bible, but you don't personally know the Jesus of the Bible. And if that is you, then confess and give your life to Jesus. And then there are those of us who, by the grace of God, we pass all three tests. We believe that Jesus is the Christ. We do want to live rightly. There is no sin that we can think of that we have not confessed, and we're loving rightly. But we know that we do those things only by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we also know included. None of us do those things perfectly because we are not perfect. So instead of us coming in here during the study in 1 John and saying, well, I believe Jesus is the Christ. I'm loving people. I'm not living in sin. I'm good. I'm content. Instead of that, let us every time we open up this letter, let us pray, Lord, I want to draw nearer and I want to see clearer. So this morning, let us confess, God, I know Jesus. I believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He is my Savior. But I want to show, I want to know Him even more. So God, show me your glory and reveal yourself to me in the Word. And so we confess this morning, God, I love your Word. I believe your Word. You're the light. I want to walk in the light. But God, forgive me where I failed this past week. Forgive me where I disobeyed. Forgive me where I fell short. Strengthen me in the week ahead that I might live in the light we might pursue righteousness together. And then we confess, God, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgive me where I failed to serve them. Forgive me where I failed to listen to them. Forgive me where I failed to help them. Forgive me where I failed to encourage them. Oh God, stir up my affections for you. Stir up our affections, oh God, for our church family. That we might love them as you love them. We have the same threats today, church. Those from the outside, even those within the church of Jesus Christ who are trying to deceive the bride and body of Christ. All that I have said this morning simply leads to this. Do you know Jesus? So you may not be here every single Sunday of this series, but today I had your attention, at least the first five minutes. I had your attention. So I felt the Spirit just saying, take it all and condense it and throw it on the heaven. Because I want you to know that you know that you belong to Jesus. And that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know that, you can leave today knowing that. I plead with you, don't walk out that door unless you know that you know that you know. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, my assumption this morning is that the majority of those here in this congregation know you, Jesus, and they love you, and they're seeking to know your word, and they're seeking to love, though we do that imperfectly. But if they were to stand, they would stand and say, I know, I have assurance that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that I will live for eternity. Lord, if we did that, it may take several minutes, but what a testimony it would be. But Lord, if there is one person 
sitting in this chair, who sang these songs, who listened to the children's sermon, who listened, listened to the choir ask, is he worthy? And who just sat and listened to this message. If there's one person, Father, who does not know you, then we pray they will come to know you. And that we as a church will come alongside of them and help them and disciple them and, and see them grow in their walk with Christ. That's what this is about today. It's about us coming to believe and trust in you. Lord, if there is any Christian, any child of yours who is wrestling with sin, dealing with sin, wrestling with bitterness or anger or hatred or hurt feelings and for treating their brother in Christ differently, if any reconciliation needs to take place, if any false doctrine needs to be repented of, if anyone needs to come and follow Jesus Christ and believers baptism by immersion if anyone needs to come and join the church and lord i just pray your spirit would move in this place trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in you jesus than to trust you and obey that's your call to us right now that we would trust and we would obey you so god you have free reign in this place move in our hearts as we sing these words to you ask you to stand. The altar is open. I'm here at the front if you need to come and pray or if you need to give your life to Jesus. If you'll stand, let's worship together. great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us leave here, hopefully having been encouraged, having been reminded of who Jesus is, and let us go out boldly, calling other people to put their faith in Christ. Let us be aware of the needs around us, and let us love them and minister to them. Just a reminder, look at the bulletin. There's a lot of good things happening. We want you to be a part of those. Uh, the really important one, again, is the soup lunch. If you're going to come, make sure you sign up for that when you leave. They need to know numbers, so don't forget to do that. we got activities tonight. encourage you to come back and be a part of that. Brian is the deacon of the week, so he is going to come and dismiss us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. You guys, just thank you so much for your word that you've given us.
open it up and that Pastor Aaron can deliver the message that, that you gave him, uh, dear God, but just that, that your word and, and through your spirit will speak to us, dear God, and uh, just illuminate uh, our lives and help us to see where we have the right confidence uh, in you, dear God, and, and you living in our lives and, uh, and to also illuminate those areas of our lives that uh, we fall short these doors and get in our cars and uh, go about the rest of our day and about the rest of our week. We just pray that you will continue to move in our hearts, in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. Uh, help us to 